This is a Federal News Network podcast. From lack of a new budget to roiling vaccine mandates, the federal government, from contractors' point of view, has become, you might say, even more difficult as a customer. And now that cybersecurity maturity plan has them scratching their heads. We check in now with the president and CEO of the Professional Services Council, David Berteau. And David, I want to start with CMMC, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, just overhauled. From the services contractor's standpoint, it's not quite what they're saying it is. Tom, there are several aspects that, uh, that we think need a lot further exploration here. And of course, we've been been waiting a long time for this because the administration started its review of CMMC uh, at the beginning back in January and then finally uh, back earlier this month they released the uh, results of that uh, and, and it, is a, it is a streamlined process. They've gone from five categories of requirements down to three uh, and they've basically eliminated any specific DOD standards. So all of the standards for compliance now are based on the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, the NIST standards, 800-171 and and 172. The implementation of this, of course, was already moving forward with a DFARS clause that was issued as an interim rule, not a proposed rule. DOD claims that they've taken account of all the comments on that, but they haven't changed the rule yet, right? So we're going to go through another rulemaking process uh, before anything is uh, is implemented, apparently. But there's three questions that have come up from PSC's point of view and our members' point of view that I think are worth noting to you. Number one is the focus is still very much on technical data for major weapon systems. And while that's a really vital thing to protect, um, it's not the only thing to protect. And we think particularly on the services end, there's a lack of attention. That was true in the previous version of CMMC. It's been true all through the process. But you take uh, just, just, for example, operational data, buying fuel. Right? You, if you're going to buy fuel, you're going to buy it on the open market um, through uh, global uh, computer si- systems that are probably never going to be CMMC compliant because they're not operated by American companies if you're overseas. Initially, it looks like it's not protected data, right? You're just putting a purchase order in for some fuel. But once you add in the amount and the delivery date and the location for the delivery date, now you've got something that might be operationally sensitive. And then none of that is taken into account here. That's known as, I guess, sensitive data or CUI data, depending on the agency. It's unclear where that type of data falls, but they've been mentioning that kind of thing for years. If they buy 10 million rolls of toilet paper, does that mean there's a deployment of troops happening? That kind of thing, I think, is what you're driving at. But it doesn't become CUI until the order's actually placed, at which point it's already in the global commercial system. It's not something that can be protected. So this is a big flaw in the in, in the fundamental operating system process. And that's what you get when you focus on the important elements of, uh, of technical data, but not the operational data. And collapsing the number of levels from five to three, you're saying is actually six now. Well, in the in the presentation material that we've seen, they've gone to three levels, right? The low, the medium, and the high. Um, but they've also indicated that there'll be minimum thresholds, not necessarily 100% of the parameters that will be required at the time of contract award. And then you'll have to have a plan to get all the others in place within a reasonable period of time after contract award. So if each of the three categories actually has two levels, a minimum threshold and full compliance, that's not three, that's six. 
So when we've gone from five to six, that's not actually simplifying and making it less, if you will. And then finally, I think the, the big issue from our perspective is always been driven by the threat, right? Because there's no dispute that we need better cybersecurity. The threat is growing. What we're doing now is clearly not good enough. And so we need to do more, not just in DOD, but across the federal government and actually across all of America. But the reliance on the, solely on the NIST standards, I think, does potentially slow down and reduce the speed with which we can respond to those emerging threats. DOD could move much faster if it were able to put its own requirements in. Maybe it'll evolve that way. That's one of the questions we've asked and don't have an answer to yet. We're speaking with David Berteau, president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. And also on the uncertainty front is the budget and the NDAA. And now contractors, from what I'm hearing, kind of across the board, are getting set for a possible year-long CR, given the state of congressional disagreement, possibly even worse. Well, that's certainly what it may look like. And, and Senate, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has uh, gone on the record saying we're not going to have a budget deal. We're just going to have a year-long CR. And, of course, the continuing resolution has lots of problems, no new starts, uncertainty about funding, um, short periods of time for that funding, particularly since it's unlikely we would get a continuing resolution for the rest of fiscal year 22. We'd likely get one, I don't know, maybe we'll get one for two or three weeks and we'll see if we get from December 3rd to Christmas. Then we'll get another one that might punt till after Christmas, maybe February or March. Then you'll get there and you say, well, it's an election year, maybe we won't finish it this year. So you just extend it to the end of the year. And then guess what? You start FY23 with another continuing resolution because the election hasn't occurred yet. This is the kind of chaos and confusion that just will make the government operate much less efficiently. It has consequences, negative consequences for every agency, but particularly for national security where, uh, you know, China's not waiting around for us to get to a budget resolution a year and a half from now. Uh, they're moving forward as they are. So are, so are many of our other adversaries. And it looks like there's some action on the NDAA, which is in one chamber all set. The Senate still has to finish up. So what do you see there that is of concern in, in terms of the policy provisions in there? It does appear that the Senate will be taking up the uh, the FY22 National Defense Authorization Act this week while waiting for the House to finish the reconciliation bill that they can go forward. Whether the Senate completes its actions or not, or whether that it depends on how fast the House moves, obviously. Um, but we have quite a number of provisions that we're worried about in there. Um, some are very positive a- aspects that we would like to see brought into play. Uh, you may remember our Section 3610 authority that authorized agencies to pay for people who couldn't get to work because of the pandemic, right? Couldn't, and, and now we're about to put a, a new mask mandate back in place on December 5th. And, you know, we've got a surge going on in two thirds of America's states already. And so there's a big question there. Well, that authority has lapsed. And so there's a provision in the House bill uh, that would create standby authority can be activated. We'd like to see that added to the Senate bill and expand it to be uh, uh, government wide as well. Um, there are uh, uh, opportunities here to address the vaccine mandate. Uh, in ways that perhaps are constructive from an implementation point of view, not just a political support or political uh, pot shot uh, perspective. And we'd like to see some of those as well. There is one provision that we'd like to see taken out. Um, The House uh, version of the bill has a a provision. You may recall the old fair play and safe workspaces uh, issue from a couple of administrations ago that took the enforcement out of the Labor Department's hands and gave it to each contracting officer. And we'd much rather see uh, beefing up the capabilities that uh, the Office of uh, of Fair Labor Standards has uh, for moving forward on that. And the other thing is we have not seen yet 
as far as I've noticed, is a nominee for the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs at the Labor Department. That could be a potent place if, if they ever staff it up. It becomes essential. I mean, uh, that, that office is very important for suspending and debarring contractors that are not complying with the rules. Uh, it is not only the place that issues the rules, it's the place that enforces those rules. Uh, we support that enforcement. All of our members want to be in compliance with those, uh, with those requirements. And, uh, and I think PSC would love to see, uh, you know, that agency be able to completely perform its job. But without a head, you're not going to do that. And of course, Tom, uh, as of this morning, there are still more uh, Senate-confirmed positions with no nominee than there are Senate-confirmed positions with a confirmed nominee. So we need to, we need to move forward fast on, across the board on that. David Berteau is president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. Can you ever remember a time where there's this many unresolved issues floating around the contractor and contracting zone? There are a lot of balls in the air, and sometimes when those balls come down, they have sharp edges on them, and so the juggling is uh, is, is really quite difficult. Um, it's what PSC is here for, you know, to wrestle with these issues on behalf of our members, and we're going to continue to do that as best we can. Thanks, Tom. All right. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more 
because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters 
um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.